So we're in this series, Revival, and, uh, you know, the world, the world systems cannot fix this world that we're living in. I mean, only Jesus. And so that's one of the reasons I think the Lord has me teaching on revival, because that's what we need to see. We sang about it today. It's God's presence that can break through. And, you know, the, there's, uh, I know some people have written about the tipping point. You know, when you, when you have a bucket of water and you start tipping that thing over, eventually it gets to a point where it just all comes out. And I think we're at that place. And, and not only in America, not only in this country, but in, across the world. And you see what's happening. And it's a spiritual uh, thing that's being poured out uh, that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'm just wondering if we're not living in the end times. When you read the Bible, it talks about these things. And these things are going to happen. And uh, we don't want to be in the movie. We wanna, we'd rather read the book. But, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot we can do about this, some of these things. And we can pray. The, the greatest thing we can do is pray. The greatest thing that we can do is we can be prepared. And uh, so, anyway, we're talking about revival. And the first week, uh, I'm taking each letter from revival, and that's the sermon title for the week. And so the first week was repent. We need to repent. We need to look at our own lives and say, Lord, what's in my heart, what's in my life that I need to repent from? And uh, Pastor Christine did a great job last week of teaching on the E, uh, which is, was engage. So we need to repent. And I think so often when we see in modern times and even in the past, when Israel would drift away from the Lord, they would come back and they would repent and God would restore them. And so we need to repent, but we also need to engage. You know, I, I can say I'm sorry to my wife and I can continue to do the same thing. I can say, Lord, I repent and don't change what I do. And today I'm talking about uh, the first V word is value. Value is something of importance of worth or usefulness. Let's, let's, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I don't want you to answer out loud. I just want you to be reflective of these questions and check your own heart. What do you value most of all? Okay, so maybe in your mind you're thinking, well, this is first in my life. This is second. This is third. And listen, we all know the correct Christian answer, right? Duh! God, family, job, or school, or whatever, right? But, but let's take a minute and, and let's really search our heart. Honestly, what is my top three values? What do I really value the most? Do I really have God at the center of my heart and of my life? What does your life demonstrate? Are you giving God any or some of your time, your talents, your treasures? Is he really a priority? Is he priority number one in your life? What about your lifestyle? What does your lifestyle demonstrate? I'm not just talking about on Sunday morning what, what we see here. But what do people see out in the world? People that are not believers, what do they see when we're at work, when we're in the grocery store, wherever that may be? Here's, here's, a, here's a button that... that that pushes on people. Look at your checkbook. If you want to know what your priorities are, that's a good place to begin to look in your checkbook. Well, honey, you spent all your paycheck on the boat last month. 
Well, honey, you bought shoes and, and blouses and dresses. Mark, you bought a, a drum workshop drum set, and you're buying cymbals. What is our priority in our life? Are, you, are we returning to the Lord when he says, this is mine, return to me? What about our commitment? Are we committed to the Lord, or is it just when it's convenient? What about our children, our grandchildren, people that we have influence over? What do they demonstrate? Are we teaching them by what example, 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 that God is first in our life and, and we can instill that in them? Or are we saying, well, you know, it's convenience. If you want to go to church today, you can. Would you rather have broccoli or ice cream? <laughs> I think I know the answer to that. Okay. But, but really, what are, how are we training our children? What are we teaching them? What are we instilling in them? Because in these days, our children need it. Our children are in a place that we have never experienced where they're being taught all kinds of garbage. Oh, it's okay to be a different sex than what you were born to be. And, and promoting that. Churches having drag queen, family-friendly festivals. There, there's something wrong. There's something broken in our society. We know that, Okay. But when we see the brokenness happening in, in the church that is supposed to be following the standard of God, not society, I wonder how God's heart is. I wonder how He's grieved about those things. And there, there are some things we can't do anything about, but there are some things that we can do something about. And one thing we can do is check our heart and say, Lord, I'm going to, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And then when revival comes, are we ready? Are we ready to lead others? Are we ready to help people that are, you know, I go into stores sometimes and I see people, young people working there and they look so confused. They don't, they don't seem to know what gender they are. And I don't get, I don't get angry at them about it. I feel for them. I feel sorry for them. But I'm angry, if we're going to be angry at somebody, let's be angry at the devil, at the enemy, and what he's trying to do. So I'm going to shift from what do you value most of all to what does God value most of all? God loves us above all else. We need to believe it, and we need to receive it. Many, you know, many people struggle with this. I, I know that they do. I think that sometimes probably all of us do on some level. Well, God loves you. Well, well how, how do I know that God loves me? Well, you just, you, you know, you, you, well, do you, how do you know God loves you? Well, well, I, I don't know, but it doesn't matter about me. I'm talking about you right now. God loves you. Listen, if we don't know that God really loves us, how can we convey that to the world that doesn't have a, a reference point for that? Too many people focus on their performance versus transformance. And transformance is not a word, I know, I looked it up, but I made it up. 
But I like it because we can try to perform or we can be transformed. Are we yielding to the Lord? Is He really the priority in our life or is it other things? God's transformation changes our heart, which changes our behavior and changes our life. This is not a your best life now. This is not, you know, fix your broken life. This is about yielding to the Lord and saying, Lord, I need you to fix my life. And I need you to transform me. I need you to change my heart. And then my actions will follow. And most people in bondage remain there until they yield to the Lord. I know people that have been through rehab, and, and I'm, you know, I agree with rehab. Go to Christian rehab. People that have gone to rehab time and time again, 10, 12 times. And they think, well, this is my life. I go to rehab, then I fall off the wagon. I go to rehab, I fall, and they, can't, they continue in this cycle. And then they have an encounter with Jesus who comes and fixes their broken lives because rehab couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Their counselor couldn't do it. Only Jesus can do it. A scripture that we're all familiar with, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. How many times have we read that scripture? How many times have we thought about that scripture and just taken it for granted? It's a gift from God. This is not an exhaustive list, but think, I was thinking about some of the gifts from God. Eternal salvation through Christ. It's probably the best gift. Forgiveness of our sins. Freedom from sin and bondage. Man, so many people need to get free. Jesus didn't come to, to bind us up. He came to set us free. We have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit of the Spirit that He gives to us. Blessings. Provision. Favor. There, there are many gifts. One of the scriptures I want to talk about a little later is John 14, 27. I'm leaving you with a gift, Jesus said, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Proverbs 21.1. How many of you are reading Proverbs? All right, all right. 21.1, one of my favorite Proverbs. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. You know, one of the questions I think we need to ask ourselves today, do we trust God? <laughs> he can turn the stream wherever he desires. Let's go back to Ephesians 2, 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it because we would. Ha ha, I'm saved, you're not. Nah, 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 nah. I'm better than you are. God loves me more than you. Ephesians 2, 10. You know this one, for we are God's masterpiece. Tell your neighbor, you are God's masterpiece. Reciprocate. Tell them again. Tell them like you mean it. You're God's masterpiece. Do we believe it? <laughs> Do we really believe it? I looked at uh, what some of the characteristics of a masterpiece were. Uh, these were three definitions I read. 
The work is so powerful that it overwhelms us by its power. The angels look down and they say, what is man? God, what is, where's masterpiece? The angels are overwhelmed by us, I believe. The world should be overwhelmed by us because we're walking in the power and the dominion and the authority that God has given us. You're his masterpiece. Do you live like it or do you live like, well, I, I, I just pulled this, this painting out of the trash. It stands the test of time. God doesn't change his mind. He's made us all to be masterpieces. But we need to remain connected to the master. It changes the way an artist or scientist thinks about their field. So, when you enter a room, is there a presence that you're bringing with you, the presence of God where people are saying, man, there's something different about that person. I feel the love of God coming from them. There's something about them that is atypical for what I see. But I see something in them. I see them walking in confidence, secure, sure of who they are, not arrogance. Consider that God is the creator. He is the artist. Since he created everything, don't you think he knows what his masterpiece is? If you're an artist and you, you've painted hundreds of, of paintings, maybe there's one or two that stand out that say, man, this is, this is really exceptional. And so... Of all the things that God created, the moon, the sun, the stars, the mountains, the rivers, the fish, the armadillo. <laughs> we are in Texas. Yeehaw. <laughs> you are his masterpiece. That, that should maybe change the way we think about ourselves. Maybe that should change the way we think about others. For we are God's masterpiece, verse 2, uh, Ephesians 2.10. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I know we've talked about these scriptures many times, but I want to drill down into this one a little bit. When you go back to the original Greek, we can means that really is defined to go here and there and walking, to go about, to walk around. We can walk about. We can go. Do the things is, it re, refers to an activity of any kind, a deed or action. Do the things. Good pertains to meeting a high standard or quality, useful and beneficial. Planned for us long ago. Prepared for us beforehand, indicating his goal for us. God has a purpose and plan for each and every one of us. So if I wanted to take these definitions and kind of combine them, we can go here and there in walking 
participating in deeds or actions that meet a high standard that are useful and beneficial that the Lord prepared for us long ago. He didn't just think of this. You don't, you don't just navigate through life at a, at a whim. Now we may, if we're, if we're not following the Lord, we can go our own way. But He has a path for us. He has a plan for us. And in these difficult days, and that are, I believe they're going to get more difficult. I don't want to speak that over us, but come on. You can see the signs. Are we going to be the people that are going to lead by example and by walking in the power of God? Or are we going to acquiesce to the world and its systems? Listen, our problems are spiritual. And when you have the church turning away from God... When you have people playing church and playing Christian, but they're not committed, is it, un, is it any wonder that we see lukewarmness in the church and the world around us where we are supposed to be setting the standard by living it? James 1.18, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. Let me say this another way. He chose to give us spiritual birth by giving us his true word, Jesus. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. When you think of yourself, what do you, what do you think about yourself? Do you see yourself as God's prized possession and his masterpiece? I've heard people say, well, I'm just a worm. God didn't create worms. And if you're in Christ, you're not a worm. You're a lion. (laughs) At times, you're a lamb. God loves us above all else. And we need to believe it. We need to receive it. If If we don't really grasp this, if we don't believe this, if we don't receive this, if we don't have this in our heart, I don't know where we go from there. We have to believe and we have to know. We, we have to have the security of knowing that God really does love us. Listen, his word tells us that he loves us. You know, I've, I've placed relational value on people that do not place as much value on having a relationship with me. There are people that, that I love and, and care deeply for, but it's obvious that they don't have the same desire for relationship with me to the same degree and you know there are people that even today I I care for and I may grieve for but I can't change their heart and and their desire to have a relationship with me I can't do that because that's up to them many people reject God's desire for a relationship with him you know people like that you have people like that in your life And we can pray for them. Because some of us, at one point in time, probably didn't have a desire to have a relationship with the Lord either. I know I didn't. My priority was not God. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was my priority. Let's party. But God began to change my heart. And He's still changing my heart. He's still drawing me into a deeper relationship with Him not out of legalism, but out of desire that my heart has changed, that I really want to have this relationship with him.
How do you think the Lord feels when his prized possessions reject him? The Lord desires a relationship with you. Do you desire the same? So God loves us above all else. Believe it, receive it. My second point is the Lord created us to have a personal, intimate relationship with him. And so we talk about relationship with with the Lord every week, probably. (laughs) What's our mission? To develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. I don't know what else could be more important than that. So I want to talk a little bit about different levels of relationship. There are relationships, relationships that are indifferent, where there's really no relationship. There's surface-level conversations. Think about going to the store, and maybe you have a, a conversation with a cashier. It's usually really deep, right? Like, how's your day today? How are you doing? No, they're, they're, they're surface or superficial conversations. I mean, they may be valid. They may be real. I mean, if I ask the cashier uh, how she's doing, she says, well, I'm having a really bad day. I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to hear that. I'm like, well, let, let, what's wrong? Can I pray with you? You know, she doesn't have time to go into all the details. But do we really care? But having a lack of relationship can be awkward at times too, right? Have you ever been on an elevator that's, you know, got a few people in there? Imagine somebody's staring at you. <laughs> You'd probably be going. Why, why are they looking at me? What do you want? <laughs> I remember uh, I was standing in line in a store, and there were two or three people ahead of me, several people ahead of me. And so we're standing there as we do, standing in line, right? Looking at the candy bars, kind of looking around. If you, if you feel like somebody is open, maybe you say, how are you today? But, you know, some people are like, don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Don't breathe on me. And anyway, so there was this guy in front of me, and he had on a short sleeve shirt, and he's pretty tatted up, tattoos on his arms. And uh, I was standing behind him, and then this man and his, I don't know, five, six, seven-year-old son walk up behind me to get in line. And I take note that the little boy's kind of looking around me, and he's looking Daddy, Daddy, Spider-Man. And the dad is like putting his hand over his mouth. Son, you want a you want a Coke? You want a candy bar? The guy had a tattoo with a spider web on his elbow that went out, you know. And so this little kid is just like, Dad, it's Spider-Man. And and the dad was embarrassed, uh, I guess. But you know, those kinds of things happen and it can be a little uncomfortable. But those are uh in different relationships, okay? Obviously, there was no relationship there. The second type of relationship is a casual acquaintance, a slight knowledge of the person, or minimal friendship with. And that could be related to like a coworker, a neighbor, 
There's a basic level of trust. I trust that you're not going to run over my garbage can if the wind blows it over. Thank you very much. But there's a moderate relationship value there. And there's casual conversation, but not much depth. Now, any of these levels can go to having a, a close relationship, right? I mean, I have one neighbor that uh, don't have any kind of relationship with, really, and I have another neighbor that we, we talk, we're friends. So any of these relationships can go to a higher level. The third uh, level of relationship is a friend, someone you have a relationship with. I think about our church family. I think about us. We have trusted friends. There are times when you share things from your life, and they share things with you. There's a trust there, and that, uh, those relationships have a high relational value. They're important. And those usually develop over time and grow over time. The fourth level of relationship that I have today is personal, intimate relationship. Someone you love, you share struggles with, there's a high level of trust, super high value, strong commitment. And many of those relationships that you have on that level, you've gone through some things. You've had some ups and downs. You've gone through good times and tough times together. So another question to consider, is your relationship with the Lord growing or diminishing? Do you have a personal, intimate relationship with him? Is it a, you know, just kind of a friendly relationship? Is it a casual? Is it an indifferent? God's relationships with humanity began when he created man and woman. Man and woman changed when they ate the forbidden fruit. When they ate the, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they changed. God didn't change. They change. Sin changes our heart. It's the original heart disease. <laughs> God's desire, his heart for intimacy with us has never changed. Consider, is your obedience to the Lord driven by law or by love? Is your obedience driven by law legalism or is it driven by love? There's a huge difference. Can you remember back in school when the teacher would, would say, you need to sit down? And maybe this was you. I don't know. Maybe not. They sit down in their mind, and under their breath they're saying, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> what is our heart toward God? Is it, well, okay, I'm following the law. Or is it? I'm following your commands, Lord, because I love you, because I have a relationship with you, because I know you love me, and I know you're, you, you have my best interest at heart, because I'm your prized possession. I'm your masterpiece. You're not just beating up on me. You're trying to help me. God places great value on you. I, I, if you don't walk away with anything else today, I want you to hear this. God places great value on you. Therefore, he provides boundaries for your protection and safety. So my first point is God loves us above all else. Believe it. Receive it. My second point is the Lord created us to have a personal, intimate relationship with him. 
My third point is Jesus gives us a simple assessment tool to evaluate our love for him. So I want to go back to this definition of value, something of importance, of worth, or usefulness. But it can also be, it can also mean a principle or standard of behavior. He's a person of high value. He's a person of high integrity. She's a person that keeps her word. Whenever she tells you something, there's, there's high value in their character. Jesus says in, in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. So our attitude is are we driven by law or love makes a big difference. Because Jesus is saying, if you love me, obey my commandments, my commands. Some translations say, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Some translations say, if you love me, you should obey my commands. So I want you to consider this question again. Is your obedience to the Lord driven by law or love? Jesus is having a discussion with his disciples and Judas, not Iscariot, the one that betrayed him, but another disciple, Judas, named Judas, said, Why are you only revealing yourself to us and not the whole world? And Jesus replies many times differently than what we think he should. But he, in his answer, he emphasizes relationships. Because Judas is saying, Why are you only revealing yourself to us? Why not the entire world? Remember, they were under Roman oppression. They were looking for the Messiah, the King, and they were thinking, hey, he's going to come and he's going to fix the world. This is what Jesus says in John 14, 23. He replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. I love how Jesus would just get to the heart of the matter. He would just cut to the chase. He'd say, hey, this is about a relationship. Okay, it's not about me promoting myself as the Messiah. It's about me uh, ushering in the kingdom of God. It's about me taking on the penalty for all the sins. And it's about this relationship. Jesus wants to show himself to the world. He could do that without us. But he wants to show himself to the world through us by the way we go out and live it. His body, the Christ, needs to hear this and do this. John 13, 34 through 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. It's not the new commandment. He goes on to say, just as I've loved you, you should love one another. You should love each other. That's a new commandment. To love one another like Christ loves us. Because we were already supposed to love one another. Do we love one another sacrificially? Do we love one another like Christ loves us? Verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 
Not how much scripture you can quote. Not how many times you go to church. Not how many life groups you've attended. Those things are important. But do we love one another? I want to have a Tom moment. I think you guys know what that means, transparent, authentic, and honest. And uh, I have some deep wounds from other pastors. I remember being a part of an organization uh, some time back, and the deal was let's work together to build the kingdom of God. (laughs) In reality, seemingly, they were only interested in building their kingdom. Okay, let's share. What's God telling you? What are your plans? What, what's going on with your church? This is supposed to be an open, honest place where we share together. I'm going to take what you give, but I'm not going to give you anything. I'm going to take the stuff that you give me, and I'm going to use it to build my kingdom. That's what I walked away with. And that's when I said, I'm no longer participating in this. It's not my heart. It's not God's heart. And you know what? I've, I've forgiven those, uh, those pastors as men. And if they call me today, I would do whatever I could to help them. But honestly, I wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. I'm just being honest here, guys. What an indictment. I've had deep hurts from other people that we love, that we try to help, help them with their family, their marriage, their children, and they go out and they stab you in the back, talk about you in the community, lie on you, take the truth truth and twist it. You're like, that's not what happened. And you walk and and you think, "What, what have we done but tried to love them? And try to help them. So we've all gone through things like that. I'm not unique in that. You know, there are a lot of people that have been burned by pastors. And they say, I'm not going to church ever again. Look what that pastor did. That's not God's heart. He's a man. He failed. I've had a bad hamburger. But I'm not going to quit eating hamburger. I'm not going to quit going to church because some knucklehead and what he did. Listen, you need to pray for your pastors. We need to pray for them. They're on the front line doing battle. Sometimes I'm in a battle, guys. It's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. Sometimes I weep and pray for people that don't even want to have a relationship with me because I love them and I care about them. And sometimes I get really, this is not the word I want to use, but this is the word I'm going to use. I get really angry at the enemy, at what he's doing in people's hearts and lives and marriages and children. Two adults want to be knuckleheads. Okay, go be a knucklehead, but your children are suffering. Your children are going to suffer the rest of their life, probably, for what you're doing. 
That's when my heart really breaks for the children. So, why am I telling you this? It's because God is calling us to hold a line, to to lift up the standard, to love one another. And ministry is difficult. And if we're going to see a revival come and we're going to be a part of that, it's going to require of us. These are the kinds of things that we have to deal with. Trying to help people and they stab you in the back, they talk about you, they lie on you. But you know who else experiences Jesus? Even a greater measure. If we want to be instrumental in a Jesus revival, which we do and we pray for on a weekly basis, we need to be secure in Christ. We need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know that He really does love us. We need to have an intimate, personal relationship with Him. We need to be secure in that relationship. Well, He loves me today. He doesn't love me. He loves me. He doesn't love me. He loves me. He doesn't. Are we secure in this? We need to be secure in our relationship. We need to spiritually grow up. We need to be able to receive correction and instruction. Can you imagine being in the military and your commander says, tells you to do something and, and, and the person's like, oh, wow, you, you hurt my feelings. I don't want to do that. And the commander may say, son, I just may have kept you from getting your head blown off. Are we willing to follow the instructions of the Lord? Are we willing to yield to Him and say, Lord God, you, whatever you say, you're, you're God, and I'm going to follow you. I'm, I'm going to trust the leaders that you place in my life, the spiritual leaders. Because I know they're praying for me. I know they're, they're looking out for my good. I know they're following you. So we need to grow up. I don't like the color of the chairs. I don't like the carpet. So what? Get over yourself. Do you care about that person that's going to hell? Do you care about that person that has a needle in their arm? Do you care about that person that that may OD? What is our priority, guys? We need to be spiritually healthy. We need to live uncompromising lives. We need to be steady and secure in our relationship with the Lord, and we need to demonstrate that. But are we doing that out of legalism and law, or are we doing that out of love? Listen, if we don't have the love of God in our hearts, we're missing it. We need to be strong. God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and love and sound mind. Our favorite power word, dunamis, where we get dynamite from, He's given us the power (laughs) to blow some stuff up, the enemy's fortresses. Because the enemy's blowing people up. And so God wants us to go 
and restore them, help them come to Him. So we need to be strong. We need to be able to endure difficulty. We need to be able to say, okay, this is a heavy weight, this is a heavy load, but I can carry it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But we also need to persevere. We need to be able to press through difficulty. Because we can be weighted down and say, okay, that's fine. I'm leaving it here. Or we can persevere and say, okay, I'm carrying this load, but I'm going through. When you're going through hell, don't stop. Keep moving. Because God will empower us to do what he's called us to do. He's looking for people that will yield to him and do what he's asked. He's not looking for carnal Christians and wimpy Christians. He's looking for people to stand up for the truth. Stand up for Him. And when we go through difficult times, stay the course. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if this is the end times or not. But the Bible talks about the end times will be very difficult times. He doesn't say, we're going to change the times. We're going to change the difficulty. He says, no, I'm going to make you strong so that you can go through And you can do the good things that I planned for you long ago. And so we can see, I can see how these things are coming together. One world government. One world religion. One world economy. Those are the kinds of things that we can expect to happen. So is our faith and trust in in those things? If we don't have faith and trust for the little things, how's it going to be when we have to take the mark of the beast or we can't buy or sell? Those could be. I hope not. But those could be the days that we're headed toward, guys. Jesus with his disciples, and so Judas asked him, you know, why, why are you only revealing this stuff to us? Why not the whole world? Jesus re replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. It's not just a drive-by. We're not just going to drive through on a Sunday morning. We're going to come and reside with you because we have a relationship of value. Verse 24, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Could it get more clear than that? Now, I know none of us completely obey the Lord 100% of the time. But does your life reflect a life being transformed? When you look back and at your life from five years ago, three years ago, a year ago, six months ago, are you seeing some change? We have cycles in our life, right? But we should be growing in our relationship with Him. And verse 24 continues, And remember my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. So he's talking to his disciples, but it's relevant for us too. Verse 26, but when the Father sends the advocate, my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, and he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and when we come into this relationship with the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I told you. The Holy Spirit is reminding is, rem- is speaking forth the things of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. 
I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Think of the times the Holy Spirit has taught you something or given you insight or gives you a reminder. Maybe today the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, I love you. Maybe that's a reminder that we all need. Holy Spirit also warns us, be careful, don't go there. Today I'm talking about value. Do we value our relationship with the Lord? Do we honor the values the Lord provides for us to follow? John 15, 10 through 14, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. What are the results of being filled with his joy? Let's read on. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So the Lord's joy infuses us and overflows from our life. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. If you, no, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. How would you feel if you saw someone destroying the Mona Lisa? How do you feel when you see a masterpiece of God being destroyed? Value, something of importance, of worth, or usefulness, principles or standards of behavior. God values you. God has a great purpose and plan for each and every one of us. God loves us above all else. Believe it. Receive it. The Lord created us to have a personal, intimate relationship with Him. And He gives us a simple assessment to evaluate our love for Him. 